Welcome to the York Story Slam podcast, where we feature select stories from our monthly open mic storytelling events in York, Pennsylvania. On September 15th, eight storytellers shared their stories with our audience. Our theme for the evening was Teen Spirit. We heard stories about a first ever unchaperoned road trip, a pie eating contest, and teenage pranks pulled on a teacher. Our winning story this month came from Par Bowman, who told us about the time she channeled Eliza Doolittle of My Fair Lady and entered a beauty pageant. Here's Par's story. The year I turned 17 was the year that Pretty Woman was released. I uh, read Pygmalion and saw My Fair Lady for the first time. And I think my brain at that point was already primed for this idea of a miraculous transformation. When I received in the mail some information about the local, from the local chapter of the Miss Teen pageant. Now, I have to admit that uh, I scoffed at this at first because I was an emo punkish teen and nothing seemed farther from my, uh, uh, from who I was than to be the spirited, you know, teen pageant contestant. But I was worried about having money for college and um, I noticed that there was a scholarship attached to this. So I thought about it and I'm like, I might be able to Eliza Doolittle this thing. And I, I went for it. I went and found a sponsorship. I wrote my speech. Now nowhere in there did it say the rain in Spain stays mainly in the plain, but I do promise I practiced that to exhaustion like Eliza Doolittle. And of course, every great transformation needs the outfit. And believe it or not, I found the outfit at the Salvation Army. And no joke, this would have fit in any she-she, late 80s, early 90s garden party. It was a navy blue sheath dress, big white polka dots and a big white bow and it had white piping around the edges. And when I tried that thing on, I have to admit, it felt a little weird and awkward around here, but when I looked at myself in that mirror, I'm like, I feel classy suddenly. And I felt confident, and I'm like, this dress makes me a pageant contestant for real. So transformation complete. I go to the rehearsal, I'm feeling a little nervous, of course, and the first order of business is to learn the group dance routine. Well, I have no problem with that, and I knock that out of the park, and I'm looking around, feeling kind of good about things. I'm like, you know what? I have as good of a chance as anybody else of winning this thing. And we go, we break for lunch. I'm sitting around this table with all these other young women and they're trading their, their, uh, you know, trade secrets. Things like that I had never thought of, like, how do you hold your fingers when you wave? Never thought about that before. And it dawns on me now suddenly, that this is their craft. They literally, some of them had spent years and years perfecting the skills for this, and I certainly had it. So at that point, my confidence level sort of nosedives, and I just think to myself, just listen to what they're saying, watch what they do, incorporate it into what you're doing, and who knows, you might still have a little bit of a chance of winning this thing. That slight bit of hope just dies on me at the very beginning of the next day because I see all of these women coming in and they've got train cases for their uh, curling irons and their makeup. 
and they have garment bags. And I swear to you, I had no clue what a garment bag was before that day. And it's not like they had things that I didn't have. It's the fact that they had invested in the proper equipment, just like they had invested their time and their energy into developing these skills and honing their skills over time. It was almost like I had learned to just play Mary Had a Little Lamb, and now I've arrived to perform with the symphony orchestra. They're well-practiced. I obviously ain't ready for this. So my goal when I step in is just don't make a fool of yourself. So I go in, and I give the most spirited, bubbly introduction of myself, and I smile the whole way through that dance number, and I enthusiastically deliver my speech, and then, of course, you get to that moment where all of the contestants line up, and they smile, and they wave, and they parade around the stage, and I'm in that dress, and I throw my shoulders back and lift my head high and think about how my fingers are supposed to be when I wave. And I feel so classy and so confident and like I'm really a pageant contestant at that moment. And at the end of the day, I think, you know, I don't think I've made a fool of myself and none of my punk rock friends found out I was doing this. So I'm going to consider this a win and move on with my life. Fast forward three months. <laughs> I'm at a wedding and there is someone there wearing that sheath dress. And I look at her, and if you think about that late 80s, early 90s style where it's like a high neckline, it's kind of rounded, and then it bees in the back. I look at her, and I suddenly realize why that dress was a little uncomfortable when I tried it on. And my face gets red when I'm looking at her. I was wearing that freaking dress backwards. And I was up there feeling like the classiest babe ever. And that dress was backwards. And I look at pictures now, and it is obvious to me that that dress was on backwards. And I am sure there were people out there in the crowd who were like, I think that girl's got her dress on backwards. <laughs> so it is obvious that I had no Eliza Doolittle miraculous transformation. I did not pull off having teen spirit for that pageant. Um, and now all my punk rock friends probably know that I have participated in this. So I'm going to consider this a lose and continue with my life. Thanks. <laughs> Parr earned a spot in our Grand Slam in November. Next up is a story from Randy Schultz, who told his story of Gloria, the vehicle that carried him and his friends from Illinois to Florida in the 1970s. Here's Randy. Well, it's... The mid-1970s, about 45 years ago, myself and four other guys, five of us in total, are on our way during our high school senior year. We're all teenagers and we're all on our way for our first unchaperoned trip to anywhere, and we're going to Daytona Beach, Florida. We have, um, I've got a friend who's got a car who he thinks has a best chance of any of us are making it there. It's a 1963 Chevy Impala. So in the mid seventies, this car itself is a teenager. Um, he's affectionately named the car Gloria after the Van Morrison song, which was coincidentally also made in 1963. You know the song, 
G-L-O-R-I-A, Gloria, that one. Um, this car, which is now 13 years old and has, he only paid a few hundred dollars for it. And it has way too many miles and way too little tire tread. Um, but it's as a chance for it to prove that it's still roadworthy and live up to guys' expectations. And as far as us, as a bunch of roughly 18-year-old teenagers, this trip is a chance for us to show that we're independent and ready to start the best years of our lives. So we figure it seems to us that if we can do this 24-hour road trip from our hometown, which is Aurora, Illinois, just outside of Chicago, to Daytona Beach, if we could do this in 24 hours by shifting drivers every few hours, it seems possible. We also, though, believe that if we can make it there in this car and don't get lost, it could be the best week of our young lives. We get off to kind of a shaky start. We're driving down the road, and I get the first, one of the first shifts, and I see that the car has cruise control. And so I ask Guy about using it because I've never seen cruise control, and he says, that doesn't matter. It's never worked anyway since we've had the car. And I said, that's not so bad. What was a little worse was about eight hours into the trip, the red light on the dashboard comes on. The car is overheating. Gloria is having her first senior moment, a hot flash. We pull the car off the road, get into the first service center we can find with a mechanic. He figures out that it needs a new fan belt. So we get that replaced and we're back on the road but now we're all have some more serious concerns about Gloria's ability to get us there. Well, it's just the next day, miraculously perhaps, we are rolling into Daytona Beach, the big time. Here we are. I mean, we go past the huge Daytona 500 Stadium racetrack and we're getting excited. We drive right onto the beach, right on the sand. We don't realize this. We also don't realize that the Southern surf swallows cars at high tide every day. Fortunately, we're warned though, and we don't lose Gloria to that particular obstacle this time. So we get there. We realize also we're some of the youngest people here. Most of the spring breakers are college students or slightly older. We're in high school. I also notice one other problem. I, most of those spring breakers have cool beach towels that make a statement for them with their design, like their college logo, their favorite team, their, um, a cool car. My beach towel, which I'd hastily taken out of our family linen closet, has cartoon animals and a circus tent on it. I carefully turn that towel upside down on the beach and make a mental note to use some of my very limited funds to buy a new beach towel as soon as possible. Well, we get through the next five days and have just a wonderful time. I mean, it is teenage paradise for us. Even though we're the youngest, we fit right in and we make it through this week with just a, a wonderful time. But we also realize we have to make it back home. That's our next hurdle. And we have a sense of urgency because we want to do it before these 
minimal suntans that we've worked on all week fade away or start to peel. Well, we take our trip back, we start our trip back home, multiple cans of oils into Gloria, uh, constantly checking the coolant, tire pressure, and, and you know, with some great luck and favorable tailwinds, we get within shouting distance of our hometown. And just as we are approaching the city limits, Gloria starts to sputter. And then she loses power and then dies completely. My friend Guy, who's driving the car at the time, yells to us, jump out and push while she's still rolling. We can make it into the Kmart parking lot. So we all jump out and push. In about 200 yards, we're going past the welcome to Aurora sign. And uh, we, we push the rest away and we roll into the parking lot. And as we're rolling into that parking lot, safely back in our hometown, it uh, feels like we just won the lottery against all odds. And it just, it, it appeals to us that this teenage car full of teenage boys has been propelled by that teen spirit across the finish line. It was a wild ending to a wonderful week and a great memory. Thanks. Our final story on this month's podcast comes from Jamie Beth Cohen. Jamie Beth shared her story of high school prom and the distance we have yet to go in creating inclusive communities. So I realize 1993 was a long time ago. And that is the first time I have ever lied on Story Slam because I have to be reminded daily that 1993 was a long time ago. <laughs> I do not realize it. I have to be reminded over and over and over again. Um, because I spent a lot of time thinking about the early 90s. I'm a young adult novelist, and as my fiction is really just fanfic of my own life, I spend a lot of time thinking about in high school. But 1990 was 30 years ago, and uh, feels like a long time when you say it that way. Um, but was it? I mean, how much has changed? My prom was in April, my senior prom was in April of 1993. And in January of that year, I was sitting in the back of the senior class homeroom when the prom committee announced uh, the venue they had booked for our prom. And I wasn't paying attention because I didn't care. And uh, it was a country club somewhere in the suburbs of Pittsburgh. And the girl sitting next to me leans over and says, do you really want to go to a prom at a club they wouldn't let us join? And I was like, what? I'm, I'm sorry. And she said, it's a closed club. And I said, what, what's a closed club? And she, one of the few black biracial girls in our class said to me, one of the few Jewish girls in our class, Jews and blacks aren't allowed to join that club. And I wasn't even angry. I was confused. I was like, I'm so, and so like hand goes up. I'm in the back of the room. I wait my turn. And when the prom committee calls on me, I say, is it true that Jews and blacks aren't allowed to join the club? And the prom committee who all belong to the club say, well, I don't know, but it's really, really pretty. 1993. Not 1963, not 1943, not 18, 
43, north of the Mason-Dixon line. Now I need to be really clear. This is not a story about me using my white privilege to help the quiet black girl in my class. Uh, this is a story of my white privilege allowing me to believe there wasn't a problem until that moment. See, I have since learned that my black friends spent the weekend going to black school. This is what they called it when their parents sat them down and taught them the history of our country that was left out of our history books. My family was really trying hard to assimilate with the belief possibly that our white skin would protect us. So I don't know how much has changed. In 2020, we're living through dual pandemics of COVID-19 and racial injustice across this country. 2019 had the most incidents of reported anti-Semitic anti violence in this country since the ADL started tracking in 1979. And in 2018, a man in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, went into a synagogue, murdered 11 Jews, including two of my family members, and likely because he is white, was taken into custody alive. 1993. The Jewish religion has this concept of tikkun olam, which means to repair the world. And though I am quite marginally Jewish in my practice, I have tried to make the world a better place. In small ways, in loud ways. What I can tell you is, in April of 1993, my senior prom was in a very ugly, windowless ballroom in a hotel. And the prom committee was really, really mad at me. But I was really proud of the school who very quickly after we brought this to their attention made a rule that all school functions would be at public places from that moment forward, restaurants, museums, things where you don't need memberships. And as far as I know, that rule stands today. And I will forever be grateful that they supported us when I blundered my way into my first act of resistance. All the winners from this year's Open Mic Story Slam events will return to compete for the title of Best Storyteller in York. Updates on our events are available on our website, yorkstoryslam.com. And while you're there, you can sign up for our monthly newsletter. Please also follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and watch videos of all the stories from our events on our YouTube channel. Big thanks to our 2020 sponsor, KBG Injury Law, whose generous support is making this season possible. We hope to see you virtually or on stage soon. Thanks for listening. This Story Slam podcast is produced by Carla Wilson of Wilson Media Services. Theme music composed and performed by David Wilson. You can learn more at wilsonmediaservices.com.